0: In church, my name is Colton and I have the privilege of reading the passage that David's going to be preaching for us this morning. That is Romans 15 verses 1 through 7. Um, it can be found on your screens um, and in the Pew Bible on page 893. Starting in Romans 15 verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproaches himself, my apologies the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of scripture we might have hope may the god of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it.
1: Thanks, Colton. Thanks, Benjamin. It's good to have you back. Well, we're going to turn our hearts toward Romans 15. And in so doing, turn our hearts toward the Lord. And so let's pray together before we jump in. God, we bow before you. And we acknowledge that you have brought us together. And you have brought us together first and foremost in you and because of you and for you. And we pray that you would guide us, that you would show us your wisdom that you would speak to us the word that we need to hear. Lord, I pray that if there are things that I say that are not of you, would you cause them to be forgotten? If there are things that I say that are of you, that are submitted to your word, Lord, drive them deep into our hearts and bear fruit as a result of them. Make us what we are not, Lord. And lead us into life as we sit with you together. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, just another quick note of announcement. Ben mentioned Community 101. I just want to offer another reminder of that. So 9 a.m. next week, we are excited to be beginning that new class. And I would just urge you, if you're new and want to get connected, that's going to be a really great opportunity to get connected uh, with other People that are new to our church if you are a member of our church you've been here for a long time come and join us we're going to be diving deeper into issues related to uh, our church culture and the way that we interact with our society's culture and what is the gospel and how do we read the bible and what does discipleship mean and what's the mission of the church and our church so if you want to go deeper into those things uh, we want to go there with you and learn together talk together share uh, our lives with one another. So join us uh, next week at 9 a.m., and then the subsequent Sundays will be at 9.45 as, as normal. Consider the last time, as we enter into Romans 15, consider the last time you entered into a situation in which you were new. Maybe you moved to a new town, got a new job, went to dinner with new people, or attended a new church for the first time. For some of us, there's an excitement in situations like these about the possibilities in this new place and in this new people. And yet in these situations, we often find ourselves wondering, is there a place for me here? We want to belong. C.S. Lewis once spoke of this concept in an article that he wrote as the inner ring we ache to get on the inside of this proverbial inner ring and hopefully find that we have a place there. And yet, when even we, we get on the inside of that inner ring, we doubt whether we can stay, whether conflict will lead us out the door, or when we get inside, in order to keep our place, we exclude or cast out those who fail to meet our expectations for belonging. Those who are different than us. Those who are disagreeing with us. This is what Paul speaks to in Romans 15. Spe- specifically in Romans fifteen seven. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When you walked into church this morning, hopefully you were greeted by one of our Sunday morning volunteers. They probably smiled, maybe shook your hand, probably not, but at least smiled and waved, handed you a bulletin, and we would generally say that they welcomed you. Is this what Paul is saying here in Romans fifteen seven? Smile and say hello as Christ has smiled and said hello to you? Don't get me wrong, a smile can go a long way. And actually, a smile can go a lot longer of a way than you would think. And we say hello at the door because we want you to know sincerely that we are glad that you are here. But that is not really what Paul is speaking about here In Romans 15, Paul's calling the church to a much more weighty kind of welcome, a welcome that's true and strong and patient and kind, a welcome that transcends difficulty in differences and calls us out of division and leads us into a unity that is otherworldly and glorifies God. I have a dear friend in my life who I met almost 10 years ago, and when we met, I quickly realized that we were quite different. We'd been called to the same ministry, and yet we carried with us different backgrounds, different personalities, different theological convictions, different career aspirations. And as someone who prizes harmony, this unsettled me. I didn't like it to me our differences were hindrances to being close and yet my friend welcomed me and continued to do so even in our differences even when that involved conflict and disagreement he continued to welcome me even in the ways that i pushed my convictions and my differences on him or pulled away from him and hid my convictions. He bore with me, he listened to me, he learned from me and eventually I learned from him in such a way that he changed my understanding of what unity really meant, what true welcome is. And as a result, after 10 years, he's my best friend. We talk every week, lives in San Diego. We often say we want to have a welcoming community, but what we often mean by that is we want a community that doesn't have conflict, that's pleasant, that smiles and says hello. We often say we want unity, but what we really want is uniformity. But Christ calls us to something more, something better and yet something more difficult. The context of Paul's call to welcome is this very dynamic. Differences in the body of Christ, specifically differences of conviction or opinion. Romans fifteen seven is the close of a larger section of what Paul is saying, starting in 14, verse 1. Paul is speaking to the church in Rome, which was comprised of former Jews and Gentiles. There were significant differences of opinion about how much the Jewish law, as a a Christian, was obligated to obey. It's evident that this had brought about division in the church, which Paul speaks to in chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You might read that and be like, what is he talking about? What does he mean by the strong and the weak? When Paul uses those terms, the strong and the weak, he is not referring to morality. By the strong and weak, he does not mean less sinful and more sinful. He's speaking about their understanding and faith in the gospel and the wisdom of how they apply it to their lives. In Christ, the Jewish ceremonial law had become a secondary issue. It was optional. Christ brought freedom as it pertained to these laws about food and about ordinances. In Christ, there were other things that were essential to faith and fellowship. Paul says earlier in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Christianity, these are the essentials for salvation and fellowship, submission to Christ as King, and belief in his resurrection. Furthermore, the way in which you know someone is a Christian, or at least discern whether they are a Christian or not, is seeing the eager desire to obey the commands and teachings of Jesus, and seeing the growing fruits of the Spirit. Those are the marks of a true Christian everything else is secondary subservient everything else is a matter of wisdom in everything else there is freedom what does that look like for us what well, looks like this there is freedom in the way you parent in the way you tend to your home in the way you operate in your marriage the way you dress the career you have, how much money you have, the way you tithe, how big of a house you have, the kind of car you drive, the beverages you consume, the music you listen to, how often you read your Bible, when you read your Bible, the news station you watch, the decisions you make in the voting booth, whether you get the vaccine, what you think about race, racism and what we ought to do about it whether you hold to reformed theology whether you know what the word justification means whether you are a formal member of our church in all these things there's freedom all these things matter some matter very much but there's freedom and i'll be honest some of these make me squirm When I read them to Pastor Benjamin earlier this week, he he said I could say this. So it made him squirm. Which ones make you squirm? Which ones, as you were listening to them, were you immediately trying to rationalize how they weren't a matter of freedom, how they were actually a primary issue? We have convictions about these things, and some of them are very strong. But they're matters of wisdom. They're conclusions about how to apply God's word in our lives. But Paul says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Meaning Paul urges us in submission to the Lord to pursue thoughtful, honoring convictions about how we apply the truth of the gospel to our lives. I have convictions about these things. Some stronger than others. I have convictions about how we manage our money. I have convictions, growing convictions about how we parent. Very new convictions about how we parent that will continue to develop and be refined. I have convictions about certain social issues. Again, these things matter. It isn't whether we have convictions, but how we hold them. It's evident that there were some in the Roman church that were holding their convictions in a manner that brought division to the church. They were quarreling against one another, judging and despising one another on both sides. They had strong convictions, but they held them in such a way that threatened their unity in Christ. Can we not do the same? Especially in the climate that we're dwelling in right now, we can look down on one another. We can demonize those with whom we disagree with, making them an enemy. Though we may never say it, or even consciously think it, we have in that functionally cast them out of fellowship and created an inner ring drawn with lines that transcend bedrock truth. And when we do that, we are acting like non-Christians. Paul says in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The pursuit of peace doesn't mean the absence of disagreement. Disagreement in and of itself is not a barrier to fellowship. It doesn't need to mean division, but actually can lead to a deeper unity A true unity it can actually lead us deeper into the heart of Christ but this can only happen when we hold our convictions on our knees when we acknowledge that we do not have perfect knowledge there is perfect truth but we do not have perfect knowledge or wisdom in these areas even if I feel convicted very strongly I still might be wrong So I need brothers around me who will expand my perspective and refine how I apply God's truth in my life. There have been elder meetings that I have walked away from this past year and concluded that I've been wrong. I've had an unwise posture towards certain issues or I've been convicted by the Lord that I was holding my convictions, not with humility, but with arrogance. That served division and unity. So I needed to return to the elder meeting and say, hey guys, one, I, I'm thankful that you've refined my convictions, and I apologize for the way that I uh, carried myself in our meeting. What if we did that? What if we engaged in that way? Jesus can get us there. If your heart has become hard, toward that person who has been either more COVID-cautious or less COVID-cautious. If your heart has become hard toward them, then something in your heart needs to change. We can talk about the convictions themselves and we can refine each other, but if our hearts have become hard, if we have turned away from that person, something in our heart needs to change. If you scoff at someone because of their social media feed, something in your heart needs to change. If you judge someone in your heart because of the politician that they have displayed in their front yard, something in your heart needs to change. If you're bristling or scoffing at me while I recite this list, reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you about that. I think we both would be helped if we talked. Or Pastor Benjamin is here. You can reach out to him and he would love to talk with you about it (laughs) he said i could say that reach out to those you've grown hard toward don't assume that you understand what's going on in their mind about how they make decisions consider praying for them maybe you don't reach out maybe your heart is hard and just pray for them and see your heart melt before the lord Get together. Whether you articulate your differences or just enjoy a cup of coffee. Move toward one another. Listen to one another. Maybe you need to confess sin to a brother or sister. Maybe you need to forgive someone who has wronged you in these kinds of ways. How do we welcome like that? How do we become a community like that? Do we stifle our passion? Do we... Put a smile on our faces? Do we just bite our tongues? Sometimes we do need to bite our tongues. But Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, which is the why and the how of this kind of unity. Maybe some of you have known someone who has had an organ transplant. Maybe you have had an organ transplant. When somebody gets an organ transplant, that foreign organ becomes an essential part of them. It becomes integral to their life and prosperity. And to reject that organ is to lead to death, to division, to the breakdown of your body. This is close to the word that Paul uses for welcome here. The word welcome here means to accept or receive, not into a building, not even into conversation, not even into friendship, but into one's own heart. This is the welcome of Jesus. Paul and Ephesians 2 writes about our condition before we came to Christ and the way in which Christ has responded. He says to the Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near By the blood of Christ. We were outsiders. That's us. We were aliens, strangers. But Christ has brought us near. Christ has welcomed us into his heart, but not without cost. It took blood. His blood. He was despised and judged cast outside, made an alien, a stranger. As Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 15, he bore the reproach that we deserved, the condemnation that we deserved, that we might be raised to new life. His heart was torn open and laid down that he might welcome us in. And in that, he broke down that which would divide us. And Paul goes on to say that through him, both the Jew and the Gentile, and both me and you, have access in one spirit to the Father. What does that mean? Jesus, I think, describes it when he speaks to his disciples in John 15. He says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are loved with the same love that the Father and the Son have shared with the Holy Spirit for eternity. In timeless glory, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the ultimate inner ring, have loved one another, deferred to one another in beautiful, diverse unity, perfect harmony and mutual admiration self-giving love and faithfulness. Their union is one of true welcome, one in which they dwell in one another's heart. And if we are in Christ, we've been welcomed into that eternally dynamic life together. And even more astonishingly, that dynamic life, that beautiful unity has taken up residence within us. Jesus says in John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you love Jesus and are in him, then the perfect, holy, beautiful God who made the world and is redeeming all things lives in you. And in everyone else who loves Jesus like you. Our collective identity has thus been changed. Now, our basic and most fundamental identity is that we are together a people who belongs to Jesus Christ and to one another. We are no longer our own. That is not opinion, but a fact. It is not a pipe dream to pursue, but a present reality to abide in. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the love we have received, and this is the love to which we are called in community. How does that change the way we see one another and treat one another? That that person that you disagree with belongs to Jesus, was saved by Jesus, is being redeemed by Jesus. So how can we treat them with hostility, casting them out of fellowship? We belong to one another. So we defer to one another in love. We lay down our rights. We belong to one another. So when we sin against one another, we confess and repent and forgive. We belong to one another and to Christ so we can wade into deep waters of disagreement. Because we share a bond that runs deeper than the bonds crafted by our convictions. We can hold on to our opinions, our, our convictions, and we dialogue with others about them because we all need to be refined in them. But at the end of the day, our common Christ wins the day. And again, in Christ, these things that would divide us actually are inroads into. Christ's heart and into deeper unity and that kind of love radiates the beauty of Jesus the glory of God to the world for it brings a supernatural unity it's natural to be joined with those that are like you that think like you that have the same opinions as you the church ought to be a place that is unified in such a way that would be impossible without Jesus The church ought to be a community that is full of people that if it weren't for Jesus and the gospel, they wouldn't be friends or they might even be enemies. That is supernatural. And that glorifies God. This is Christ's prayer in John 17, starting in verse 21. He's, he asked the father, I ask that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, and I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The salvation of the world is on the line here. We want to be a community that's visitors say, wow, you mean to say that these two people are friends? We want to be a community that outsiders look at, scratch their head and crane their necks in curiosity. What brings together such a diverse crowd? What if our unity was so supernatural that people became Christians because of it? This is who we want to be. This is who we're called to be. It's not negotiable, it's essential. And if you're, you're new, this is the kind of community we hope to welcome you into. To smile and say hello and welcome you into the door today and tomorrow. And the next day, we're not there, but we can get there as we take one another into our hearts as Christ has welcomed us into His for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would lead us into true unity, a unity that may be unpleasant at times, a unity that involves sacrifice but a unity that is beautiful, that glorifies your name. Root us deeply in our union with you. Lead us into honesty, honor, gentleness, deference. Heal the wounds that we have sustained as a result of these kinds of divisions and the judgment we've experienced. Humble us. Refine us in our convictions. Help us learn from one another. We want your wisdom about how to apply your truth to our lives. And we want to be unified. Make your name great in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.